Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of response to high altitude found under the respiratory section at MedBullets.com. As a general overview, remember that high altitude leads to a decrease in atmospheric pressure and a decrease in the alveolar pressure of oxygen. In terms of ventilation, the decrease in alveolar pressure of oxygen leads to an increase in respiratory rate or hyperventilation. This is because the decrease in alveolar pressure of oxygen stimulates peripheral chemoreceptors in the aortic bodies and the carotid bodies to instruct the medullary inspiration center to increase the respiratory rate. In terms of the arterial blood, the increase in ventilation rate leads to an increase in arterial pressure of oxygen and a decrease in arterial pressure of carbon dioxide. This ultimately leads to a respiratory alkalosis. This is because typically carbon dioxide mixes with water to form carbonic acid which dissociates into a proton and bicarbonate. So the decrease in CO2 shifts the equilibrium towards the left, so there's a decrease in the proton amount, which leads to an increase in pH. The respiratory alkalosis then leads to an increase in renal bicarbonate excretion. Also remember that carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, such as acetazolamide, lead to an increase in renal bicarbonate excretion and create a metabolic acidosis. This can be used to quote-unquote acclimate someone going to a higher altitude because they will naturally increase ventilation to compensate for the metabolic acidosis. In terms of the pulmonary blood flow, the decrease in alveolar pressure of oxygen leads to hypoxic vasoconstriction of the pulmonary vasculature. This leads to an increase in pulmonary vasculature resistance and an increase in pulmonary arterial pressure. The pulmonary arterial pressure increases in order to maintain a constant blood flow and the right ventricle pumps against an increase in pulmonary arterial pressure, so there's increased afterload. Remember, however, that chronic hypoxic vasoconstriction of the pulmonary vasculature can cause core pulmonality, which presents with right ventricular hypertrophy. In terms of the cerebral blood flow, this is primarily controlled by the partial pressure of carbon dioxide. The decrease in pressure of carbon dioxide leads to vasoconstriction. Remember that therapeutic hyperventilation occurs when partial pressure of carbon dioxide is decreased, This leads to a decrease in intracranial pressure by decreasing cerebral perfusion. This is used in cases of cerebral edema, and the effect is usually only temporary. The pressure of oxygen can also have effects during severe hypoxic events. A decrease in pressure of oxygen can lead to vasodilation and an increase in cerebral perfusion pressure. In terms of cellular changes, chronic hypoxia leads to an increase in erythropoietin, which leads to an increase in hemoglobin concentration and an increase in hematocrit. Remember that synthesis of erythropoietin occurs in the kidneys, and erythropoietin then acts on the bone marrow to stimulate red blood cell synthesis. The increase in hemoglobin concentration leads to an increase in oxygen-carrying capacity and an increase in total oxygen content. There may also be an increase in mitochondria found in cells when at high altitude. And lastly, in terms of the oxygen-hemoglobin dissociation curve, there is an increase in 2,3-BPG, which shifts the curve to the right. This leads to a decrease in hemoglobin affinity for oxygen, which ultimately leads to an increase in oxygen unloading. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to response to high altitude, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 28-year-old medical student presents for follow-up medical evaluation while halfway through a three-month global health elective in Tibet at a local mountain community. She had previously been evaluated upon arrival to Tibet because of symptoms of lightheadedness and fatigue. Evaluation at that time found no evidence of cardiovascular or respiratory pathology, 
so no medications were started. Since then, she says that she has been feeling better and no longer experiences these symptoms. If an arterial blood gas was performed at this time, which of the following results would most likely be seen in this patient? And the answer choices are, choice 1, pH of 7.25, PaCO2 of 25, and bicarbonate of 8. Choice 2, pH of 7.25, PaCO2 of 60, and bicarbonate of 26. Choice 3, pH of 7.45, PaCO2 of 20, and bicarbonate of 16. Choice 4, pH of 7.55, PaCO2 of 20, and bicarbonate of 25, or choice 5, pH of 7.55, PaCO2 of 45, and bicarbonate of 38. The best answer to this question is, choice 3, pH of 7.45, PaCO2 of 20, and bicarbonate of 16. This patient who has recovered after moving to a high altitude most likely has compensated chronic respiratory alkalosis, which would be seen as elevated pH, decreased CO2 partial pressure, and decreased bicarbonate concentration. Respiratory alkalosis occurs when patients increase ventilation in response to stress or hypoxemia. For example, patients who move to a high altitude will increase minute ventilation because they are now in an environment with a decreased partial pressure of oxygen. As a consequence, patients will blow off more carbon dioxide and experience respiratory alkalosis. If patients are given the chance to adapt over a long period of time, however, the kidneys will compensate by reabsorbing less bicarbonate. Thus, whether the level of bicarbonate is normal or low can be used to determine whether respiratory alkalosis is acute versus chronic. Other adaptations to high altitudes would include increased red blood cell mass and production of 2,3-biphosphoglycerate. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Decreased pH, decreased carbon dioxide partial pressure, and decreased bicarbonate is classically seen in metabolic acidosis, which would occur in conditions such as lactic acidosis, diabetic ketoacidosis, and renal tubular acidosis. This is because these disorders will lead to gain of organic acids with the corresponding respiratory compensation. Choice 2. Decreased pH, increased carbon dioxide partial pressure, and normal bicarbonate is classically seen in acute respiratory acidosis that might occur in conditions of hypoventilation such as opioid overdose or airway closure. This would occur because decreased ventilation would lead to carbon dioxide retention. Choice 4. Increased pH, decreased carbon dioxide partial pressure, and normal bicarbonate is classically seen in acute respiratory alkalosis that most likely occurred when this patient first moved to Tibet. However, over time, the kidneys will compensate by decreasing the bicarbonate concentration. This is because the collecting duct of the kidney will waste more bicarbonate. Choice 5. Increased pH, slightly increased carbon dioxide partial pressure, and increased bicarbonate is classically seen in metabolic alkalosis that might occur in conditions such as vomiting, hypovolemia, and diuretic use. This is because these conditions will lead to loss of organic acids with the corresponding respiratory compensation. Finally, a bullet summary. Chronic respiratory alkalosis, such as at high altitude, will present with increased pH, decreased carbon dioxide partial pressure, and decreased bicarbonate concentration. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A healthy 20-year-old male college student attempts to climb Mount Everest and travels to the Tibetan Plateau by plane. Upon landing, he feels increasingly dizzy and fatigued. He notices that he is breathing faster than usual. 
What is the initial stimulus for the most likely acid-base disorder? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Hypoxic pulmonary vasodilation Choice 2. Decreased partial pressure of alveolar oxygen Choice 3. Increasing arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide Choice 4. Worsened diffusion limitation of oxygen Or Choice 5. Undiagnosed atrial septal defect The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Decreased partial pressure of alveolar oxygen. This vignette describes the development of respiratory alkalosis in an otherwise healthy man at high altitude due to decreased atmospheric pressure at high altitude and thus a decreased partial pressure of alveolar oxygen, which leads to hypoxemia. There are many common causes of hypoxemia, such as hypoventilation, diffusion limitation, shunt, VQ mismatch, and environmental factors. An example of the latter is in high-altitude settings, where the partial pressure of alveolar oxygen is lower. Hypoxemia triggers peripheral chemoreceptors that send signals to the ventral medullary respiratory center to increase minute ventilation. This corrects the hypoxemia somewhat, but at the expense of hypocapnia. Tissue hypoxia ensues, resulting in systemic symptoms collectively termed quote-unquote mountain sickness. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Pulmonary vessels vasoconstrict in response to hypoxia. This is a physiological response to alveolar hypoxia resulting in vasoconstriction in those blood vessels in an area of lower oxygen partial pressure. This redirects blood flow to areas of the lung that have a higher oxygen partial pressure. Choice 3. Carbon dioxide does not increase due to high altitude. Choice 4. This healthy male has no suggestion of disease that limits diffusion of gases, such as fibrosis. Choice 5. An atrial septal defect can cause more pronounced hypoxemia, but there are no associations with structural heart disease and increased mortality in high-altitude settings. That's all for this review about response to high altitude. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session from MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.